Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Urban Book Editor. And I'm really happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the September 24th show, Executive Director of Reconomics Institute, Storm Cunningham. You can connect with Storm at his website, www.stormcunningham.com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the September 24th show at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, and I hope you guys will share it with the young people. But it's not just for the youth. Sometimes we adults need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. And I had a great conversation with this month's guest, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Eric Winters is a self-leadership coach, black belt hand washer, speaker, and author with deep knowledge in the science of building courageous and emotionally intelligent mindsets. His know-how is a result of over 20 years of international corporate life, two master's degrees in human behavior change, and over 12 years helping leaders and their teams become their best selves to meet the workplace challenges effectively. He spends much of his time developing authentically courageous leadership through keynotes, workshops, and individual coaching. Eric is the author of Swipe Right on Your Best Self, Simple Steps to a Bolder Life with Fewer Regrets. So I would like to welcome Eric Winters to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Eric, thank you for being on the show. Michelle, it's a pleasure. And good morning to you from Sydney, Australia. I'm not sure how many hours ahead I am, but it's July the 1st here. And uh, it's sunny and bright and looking fabulous outside. Well, that's awesome. Here in scenic Snellville, Georgia, outside of Atlanta, it is mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful, but it is almost nightfall. <laughs> and isn't is this a miracle that we can speak to each other in real time? I'm just continually in awe that this is possible, what we're doing together. Yeah. And there's, there's no lag. How do they do that? There's just no it's no magic. <laughs> it, I think it is. We live in a time of miracles. And we've, we forget that. We forget that. They're, they're technical miracles, but they're miracles nonetheless. And I think we ought to just pause every now and again and just savor how lucky are we. I know. I love it. I love that concept. And I am a big fan because I'm a tech person. So I love the way technology evolves. I love playing with it. So I am right there with you. Mm. Um, well, we are in luck. 
tech is changing so quickly. We have plenty of new technology to stay abreast of. Oh yeah, this and I think things are only going to get more exciting as as time goes on. But um, I want to talk about you. <laughs> oh, I love talking about me. So <laughs> awesome. Well, that's good what? because <laughs> our goal here is to find out about you and your journey. Mm. So, if it's okay with you, I like to start my interviews with two questions. You ready? I am. I have okay. a, I have a suspicion. I know what's coming up, but, uh, but hit me <laughs> hit me with it. Hit me with okay. your two questions. <laughs> Eric Winters, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Mm, these are good questions, Michelle. These are good questions. I am I'm many things, of course, and for the purposes of this interview, I'm a self leadership coach. Mm -hmm. I'm also a black belt hand washer, quite proud of that, self-appointed, and, and I'm the author of a book, author of a book, Swipe Right on Your Best Self. And I haven't always worked in the, the personal development, the leadership development space. In a, a prior life, I, I spent 20 years working with IBM as a consultant around the world, and I had fabulous eight years in Scotland, in Edinburgh, really enjoyed that. I had a couple of years in the Middle East, uh, working in Abu Dhabi. That was a very healthy uh, experience just to shake me up and expose me to different ways, different cultures. Mm -hmm. Three wunderbar years in Munich, Germany. And if you ever get the opportunity to go to Munich, it's just wonderful. What a lovely, lovely country. And I've uh, lived and worked also, of course, here in Australia. Mm -hmm. But I noticed it didn't matter which culture I was in, Michelle, whether it was the Middle Eastern culture with working with the Egyptians and Syrians, I was noticing the same thing that when the pressure was on, when the, the heat was really on at work. An example would be IBM manages uh, online ticket systems for airlines. Mm. And if those systems aren't working, IBM has to pay enormous penalties per second now you wouldn't imagine how many how many phones start ringing the moment those systems <laughs> go down there's a lot of excitement and under that kind of pressure some managers were really able to get the best out of themselves they're able to manage their minds stay calm think effectively under pressure mm -hmm. and also really impressively get the best out of others mm -hmm. Unless even in the heat of, let's say, battle, sort right. of technical battle. It's just wonderful to watch. And yet equally talented, equally intelligent, equally experienced managers mm -hmm. sometimes would also, to some degree, fall apart. They'd become anxious, they'd become worried, and they would infect others with their anxiety. And the performance, of course, and their effectiveness was uh, hugely diminished. So I watched both happening. And this happened, as I say, Germany, Middle East, Scotland, Australia, it didn't matter which culture it was. And training and intelligence wasn't making a difference. That wasn't it. And I wanted to know what does make the difference. So I took a step back and I've indulged myself deliciously in learning uh, 
the science of performance and well-being. And I've got two master's degrees now in human behavior change. And it's been wonderful to discover that there are many things we can do for ourselves mm -hmm. to help manage our minds when we're challenged and also create working environments and communities and families that create a context, uh, a culture that supports all of us being our best. And that's the area that I work in today. I help individuals and organizations to be more effective, not when the going's easy, because it, mm -hmm. you know, we can all we can all work quite well when the going's easy, but when the pressure is on, when there are ch challenges. And uh, and a really rewarding life is full of challenges. Yes. It's going to be one challenge. It's not like we get to opt out, Michelle, is it? You know what? I think I'll have a, a few weeks challenge free. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> no, well, not so, if you plan to live in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. In the real world. And of course, we, we all do have a choice to some degree. We can retire into our comfort zones. We can pull down the blinds, refuse to answer the phone. We can withdraw from life. And, you know, at times, I think I put my own hand up, at times I've stepped back a little bit to recover maybe, lick my wounds. Uh, but we, we all run the risk perhaps of retiring too much and not developing the capability to step forward boldly more often out of our comfort zones because that's where the good stuff is that's where growth lies that's where real connections close connections with loved ones and work colleagues is it's outside of our comfort zones so now you know it makes me want to ask you questions because given what we've had going on around the world over the last, what, 15, 16 months, something like that. How are you finding that individuals and organizations are dealing with all of this sudden change that had to take place because of the pandemic? Yeah, it would be great if there was one answer I could provide. You know, the one way which everyone is responding is this, Michelle. But in, I can only speak for Australia, but people are responding in many different ways some of us have found that we'd love working from home more it's become really popular and as things have got better down here organizations have found it very difficult actually to get people to come back in they're saying thanks very much but i'm not commuting anymore i've got more time with the family like i'm still working effectively mm -hmm. uh, I'll stay here. And people are making excuses. Oh, no, I would have come in, but uh, I had to stay in to get my next COVID jab you know, or, or mm. what have you. So they're finding it hard to get people back in. At the same time, there's another cohort of people that are desperate to reconnect and mm. be amongst others again. And they have suffered quite badly. Mm. And I, I hear it was on the news last night that so the... Uh, the mental health lines, people calling up for support for anxiety and depression, they're, they're receiving twice as many calls as they normally do. So there, there is a, something of a, a minor mental health crisis at the same time as others are thriving. Well, 
what about the organizations themselves? I mean, if we're dealing with leadership, right? How are the leaders working to help their employees, help their teams to deal with these things? Because, okay, first we have a worldwide health panic, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, this is a health crisis. People are dying. People are getting very sick. So there's the stress of that. But then on top of it, there's economic uncertainty. People are losing their jobs. I don't know if this occurred in Australia the same as it did here, but here in the United States, tons of people lost their jobs. And then there was the piece of, okay, we can't necessarily be in office together. Now we've got to go home. And then fooling around with the technology, the schools. How how are leaders there helping their teams? Mm. Well, when the pandemic first arrived, when everyone was staying at home, leaders were extremely concerned that they were going to lose control, that they weren't able to watch what people were doing. They weren't able to, to track if people were, in fact, showing up for work, were they, were they even be investing themselves? And what they were doing was having a lot of meetings. So the weeks were just peppered with meetings to check in, to check mm-hmm. in. And as time's gone by, they've actually discovered so leaders here have discovered that they can trust their people to do good work, that they don't actually need to have someone standing over their shoulder. So it's been really good in that respect. They've discovered that there's this trust. That's been appreciated by people working from home. People value being trusted. We all like to be trusted. Right. You mentioned the technology. Initially, it was all a bit of a shambles as people got their heads around, yeah, how do we do this? How do I work with this technology? But people have learned pretty quick. People are have discovered they're far more flexible and adaptable, and they've become tech, tech savvy. People who never before spent time on Zoom, or it's like, and Zoom pretty much has the market cornered, uh, but they've discovered, yeah, I can, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of them quite like it. There has been a, a significant financial impact, though. Here in Australia, we, we, we haven't had very much uh, presence of the virus, but we've had a lot of intermittent lockdowns. And it's this, the also our airports are pretty much shut. So there's been a huge impact to the tourism industry and also to the uh, the food and beverage industry every time there's a lockdown they have to close their doors and mm-hmm. that's been that's been punishing for them mm-hmm. uh, but as far as leaders have gone they've they've just dis- they've discovered they can trust their workers and they've discovered they don't need to fly them around as much as they used to to come yeah. in for trainings and meetings and i've spent a big chunk of the past 12 months delivering workshops online instead of going in to a location and let me say I miss it Michelle I just like if you could change everything for me I'd be ever so happy if you could, if you've got any influence on this the progression of this pandemic I, I I have fun delivering online but there's something about being in the same space as other pieces and I I'm quietly mourning that Yeah. And coming from a training background myself, I know that there's one of the challenges of when you're in a remote environment, you can't really tell who's really paying attention to you. 
who's really engaged, who's, you know, really kind of taking everything on board and thinking about it and giving back, right, into the community that you're trying to form online. That's one piece. But when you're in a live classroom, you can see everybody. It's a different dynamic. You can see who's hesitant. You can see who's looking at their phone. You can draw people in with conversation in a completely different way. And it's much warmer. It's a warmer environment. I like that word. It is more warm. It's more intimate. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you, you really feel like you are together in a space. And we're never going to, I don't think we're ever going to be able to quite reproduce that uh, online. But we can go Great. a long way. We can go a long way. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different environment. Sure. Yeah, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. So I'm wondering from a organizational standpoint, we've got all these people who don't want to go back to the office, that the same thing's happening here in the United States. I don't know if you guys pay attention to our news at all, but it's like everyone, all the governments are all up in arms. Nobody wants to go back to work. <laughs> like, well, People who are in low-wage jobs, maybe they don't have as much incentive to go back to some of those low-wage jobs where they were treated poorly and didn't make enough money anyway. And people in the higher-wage jobs where they get to stay home now, they don't want to have to go back. I mean, Atlanta is a terrible place to commute, right? So what's going on down there in terms of organizations and government and the strategies that they're thinking about to get people back into the workplace after this is over? Do they have plans in place? You guys were handling things much better than we were here. So yeah, well, kudos mm, to you all, first of all. <laughs> well, though, yes, I'd like to say I had a personal responsibility and everyone should be thanking me, but it wasn't, <laughs> I had absolutely nothing to do it. But yes, we did have leaders. It's true that actually made a lot of good decisions, not 100% good decisions, but they made a lot of good decisions early mm -hmm. on, early on we put in the quarantine uh, hotels, shut down the airports. Yes. So what's happening here is that the people are saying that the future of work is going to be highly hybrid. Mm. That actually we will, we will, we are not ever going to go back to the way it was. That there will be significant uh, periods of time that people will work from home. One of our big IT companies here, Atlassian, mm -hmm. has said to its employees, guys, we expect you to come in four times a year now, four times, when we'll have uh, group kickoffs and conferences and big training events. But that's all, four. Apart from that, you can work from wherever you want. Now, this, this they've, they've discovered in their own environment that this suddenly means that they can recruit and work with talent that was out with the the commute distance before mm -hmm. so it's actually it's very good for them they like this mm -hmm. uh, and they, they have a lot of trustworthy skillful individuals who yeah they're working well and they love the technology so they've embraced uh, working from home other organizations the government here that they're, they're very very cautious about uh, not having people infect one another we've got precious little uh of COVID here in the country, although it's beginning to take off with this Delta variant, 
but they've been extra cautious. So they've been saying to people, no, stay at home, don't come in just yet. It, it, the coast looks clear, but we're happy for you to stay where you are. So we're fortunate in Australia that our public service, the APS, is extremely considerate of the well-being of all of the, the people that work in it, extremely considerate and highly flexible. So it's uh, not having people come back yet, keep your distance, and it's very accommodating of uh, domestic obligations to, to take care of the kids mm -hmm. and, and uh, all of the rest of it. So th the country has been very flexible and they, they're not rushing to get people back. And the word on the street is, yes, we will be phasing people back in, but it may only be once or twice a week. Wow. For a lot of organizations, that's all they're going to be asking for. There's going to be this hybrid world, and a big chunk of that is going to be spent predominantly at home. That's what people are talking about at the moment. We'll, we'll watch this space. We'll see what actually happens. But that's the prediction in the reports that are coming out. That's really interesting, because here in the United States, I think that's where things are going to go, whether people want it that way or not. But our politicians seem to be eager <laughs> to get everybody back into physical proximity. And, oh. I, and I think it varies by state, you know. Um, I actually drove across the country during the pandemic to come back to my home in Georgia. And you could see the difference going from the West Coast coming back East. Really? Right what about hitting say? Texas, mm -hmm. right about hitting Texas. You could see fewer and fewer masks. Um, people, and this was fairly early in things. You know, this was uh, last year around May. So you could see the, I don't want to say there was a lack of care, but it felt like a lack of care. And it became more intense as we moved across the country going east. How interesting that the. Yeah. So there's it's almost like the, the culture shifts with the geography. Yeah. The, the United States is a very big country with a lot mm. of different people with a lot of different attitudes. So mm. it, it was fascinating. And also it's a beautiful country. I don't, you didn't mention having the United States on your list of countries where you got to visit and work. I Well, let me say I've had uh, four weeks working in Santa Monica. I have been there, but it was just the four weeks. I didn't, yeah. did, I didn't feel eligible, Michelle, to mention <laughs> that it was such a short trip. But I had a lovely time up there in uh, northern, is it northern California? I think it's fairly, I think uh, so. You know what? I was never good with uh, California no. geography. All I no. knew was LA <laughs> down to San Diego. That, that was my realm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I have driven along that coastal route. I had a, had a fabulous time. It's beautiful. So, uh, yeah, but I've not lingered for very long. I might mention very, very briefly, Michelle, I don't want this to be a tangent, but I, maybe 15, 20 years ago, I was looking for work and considering working in the US or Australia, you see, mm -hmm. like the two. And I had a, I applied for, for work in the US and I should mention up front, if you work in the UK or Europe or Australia, mm -hmm. you, we generally get about 25 days holiday a year. Okay. 
That's why you can see where this is going. I phoned up this big company in the US and we had this interview. They said, look, we'd we'd love to, we'd love to hire you. This is great. And look, here's everything we can offer, Eric. But we've got this fabulous pay package. We'll take care of your teeth. We we don't we don't worry about that down here. We have we have free dental. We don't, but they say no, we'll 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 give you dental. Okay. And he said, they said, Eric, on top of everything else, every year you can have 10 days off. Every year. I, I thought, what? I've, I've already got 25. I could visit the US for 10 of my 25 days and then go somewhere else. So I just I just tore up the uh, the, the job offer. It's oh. not good enough. You don't take enough holidays it seems to me is that right i agree and that you know it's really interesting from a cultural standpoint we are uh accused of being workaholics here and they blame the poor puritans i don't know if that's really where this came from but they talk about the puritan work ethic being what caused that i actually believe it's just the way that u.s capitalism works that because it also goes to the management style here. You know, things have evolved tremendously in the last 30 or 40 years, I think. But even technology companies took a while to really get that their people don't need to physically be in the office. You know, it, it's really just been this new generation of technology companies here. So... I think it's fascinating. I remember asking for remote work. I was always a little ahead of my time, I guess. Many, many moons ago, I won't say how many, um, when my oldest was a baby, when she was a toddler, I wanted to go back home. I was working in the DC area and we had internet, we had computers, we had phones. What are you talking about? I can't work remotely, but no one could even envision it. I think it comes down to trust. A mm-hmm. lot of it is is trust. We need to trust one another to work unsupervised. Well, I think there's more to it also change because I'm sure you deal with change management in what you do. Yeah. Do you find that, um, how do you find that companies deal with the change aspect of these things? Like the pandemic kind of forced us to change. It, it, but it did. It's a challenge, isn't it? Getting organizations on board with change normally. Well, it, change is a little bit frightening, but the organizations predominantly down here recognize that if they don't adopt flexibility in what they're delivering, the service that they offer to, to, to customers, and how they work with their employees, they will just slip behind. They will become redundant. Our expectations, uh, the public expects great service now. We all expect to be able to have an app to very quickly check on the status of my order. If I've ordered something, I expect to have a graphic of a little car uh, moving. And I want to know where that car is. It matters to me now. I need to know where, which road that vehicle, where is my pizza exactly? Yeah, how close is it? And it's not just pizzas, it goes for all sorts of products. So the expectations of the public are are high. Learn new systems, change roles, merge with different teams. It's still uncomfortable for people to change, but organizations get it. 
they get it. So there's just ongoing change here in, in organization, just continual to the technologies and processes and services. It's, uh, there is only change. Well, and one of the things that I'm observing, this, um, this is me observing as a consumer now, is that we're seeing technology replacing people more since the pandemic. This is my observation. And I'm gonna shout out in a very negative way, my cell phone company. Because <laughs> they used to have the best customer service in the business, which is why I was willing to pay a small fortune. You know, good, great service. I hardly ever had drop calls and they had great customer service, but I didn't have to talk to them too much. If I have to talk to you more than once or twice a year, I'm talking to you too much, right? Mm, that means something's right. not working. But now you have to go through so many hoops to get wow. to a person. And I'm seeing that trend in a lot of companies. What do you feel is going on with this response of maybe adding those extra layers of technology in? Yes, I haven't seen that myself here, that the services have, have, have dropped off. But I, I do acknowledge what you're saying about people being replaced where possible with technology. But you and I, we value customer service highly. And you and I are both willingly paying more for that. So I, my internet service provider, they are not the cheapest. But I stay with them because on, just as you say, the very rare occasions where something's not right, when I phone, it's picked up within one or two rings by a person. And I say, look, could you put me through to, no, no, I'll handle that for you now. <laughs> There's no pass through to anyone. One or two rings to the individual who will fix my problem and does. And I'm very happy to pay to shovel some more dollars across every month to that organization for that level of human service. Right. There's, there's no AI. I didn't catch that. Did you say internet? <laughs> you know what it's you know what it's like when you, you say, yes, I've got a problem with my internet. <laughs> so no, I so there there is at least many people here are very we we, we like talking to people. Uh, but I am mindful that where possible, especially for manual work, for physical work, mm -hmm. machines now are picking fruit in orchards, things that would have been done uh, by people. They can now just send robots down between trees and robotic arms are reaching out. Now, I'm demonstrating this one. <laughs> <laughs> Plucking peaches or apples off the tree and lowering them gently and lowering the fruit gently into crates. So I think we're gonna see a lot more technology replacing people. That is fascinating to me because I still wanna know how do they get the pressure just right to not bruise? Yes. That's not turn it into juice. Yeah, that's a level of dexterity that human beings have that I understood from the reading that I'd done was very difficult to replicate. Yeah, they're getting That's better and better. Yeah, at, at everything, which does mean that if we want any kind of longevity in our careers, we really need to be doing something that's that's hard to reproduce, something that's creative, 
something that's very human centric perhaps mm -hmm. but uh yeah a lot of the jobs that exist today will not exist in five ten fifteen years so it yeah. pays us all to to be mindful of what we're doing and maybe chart a slightly different path now that leads to another interesting discussion that we just don't have time for today, but I am interested in how that's going to impact the socio-political status of people, like particularly in countries like the United States, um, Australia, where we thrive on a, we're supposed to thrive on a good sized middle class. So if you are getting rid of a, lot of a lot of those jobs. I don't know about in Australia's economy, but here it was manufacturing and things of that nature, um, government work that kind of propped up and created this middle class. That if those jobs are going away, because now you can have a robot deliver your mail and sort your mail and do all these things. Uh, you're having robots picking things in the warehouses and you're having robots putting the cars together. What happens to those people or people who would work in those industries? Because yes. it doesn't take 10 people to operate that robot. Yeah, that's right. They're, 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 we have to be moving to a time where there fewer people are needed. And maybe there's this, this talk, of course, isn't there, that maybe there should be a, a, a minimum wage. What do they call it? Where everyone just gets some money yeah. regardless, a social level of support regardless. I know experiments are happening yeah. in various cities around the world. To just, mm -hmm. Does it work? Do Can people still, uh, will they get out of bed? I think is one of the questions. If you don't have to work, will people still thrive? How expensive is it? Do the pros outweigh the cons? And, and, and often these things, you don't know mm -hmm. until you try it. Exactly. Your prediction of the consequences is way, way off. There were predictions here about what the pandemic was going to do to house prices. So mm -hmm. every, you know, the wise economists at the start predicted, well, within about five months, you can expect a 25% drop in the price of property because of the impact. Right. So there's, there's wisdom declared that. And what's happened? Property prices have gone up about 20%. It's just extraordinary. So I, we, we're not very good at predicting the future. And if we're going to plan new ways of supporting ourselves and living together and working, that might include a, a minimum wage regardless, mm -hmm. these things need to be tested. They need to be experienced. And we need to not, not just guess what we think might happen, but find out. Right. Find out. What kind of advice would you give if a leader wanted to kind of think through some of this for their business? This pandemic is indicative of things to come. They're saying they're going to be more pandemics. They're saying they're going to be more um, natural disasters. If a leader wants to think through some of these things for their business, what kinds of things should they be factoring in? Yeah. Well, I work as, as a coach, which means I don't actually... I mostly do not give any leaders advice, mm. uh, but I help them. I help them through my, my questions and through my presence to think more effectively, mm. to think uh, to, in, in order for them to solve the problems that they've got. 
But people do think more effectively in groups. When we have a, an environment in which collaboration is encouraged and supported and where diversity of opinion is welcome, is mm -hmm. welcome, where we have that psychological safety in groups so people can pipe up with, with wild ideas and have people take them, consider them, change them, pass them around. Maybe we could do this. Yes, but maybe we could do that. So I help individuals and teams to think more effectively. Mm -hmm. But we, we do that by creating spaces in which people can share their most courageous thinking. Mm -hmm. Because big thinking is required to navigate the, the waters that we're going through internationally now, the right. challenges that we face. We need courageous thinking. We need people to be willing to say when they don't know, be willing to say when they've made a mistake, mm -hmm. and be willing to boldly share their thinking, not to sit back and keep quiet and... Uh, let others do the heavy lifting we need more people to step forward so those are the cultures and uh, workplaces that i i help to uh, to create because it doesn't happen by accident by nature people are not courageous we've now our dna has been developed over millennia to keep us safe that's how we is how we're built to stay alive at all costs mm -hmm. So we need to, to put various things in place externally in the room. And also we need to manage, learn skills to manage natural human fearfulness. It's not going away. There's no mindset fix, which makes you fearless and indomitable and totally confident under all circumstances. It does not exist, but we can get better at noticing natural human fears and changing our relationship to them. Getting a clearer idea between ourselves what matters most, what's important, how do we want to show up? How do we want to show up in our workplaces? What kind of people do we aspire to be? And at home, what kind of partners do we want to be? What parents, dog carers, what kind of people do we really uh, want to be? Once we know that, and once we know how we can manage our minds, then the third skill is actually being present, getting out of our heads, out of autopilot, out of habitual behavior, and being intentional and intentionally choosing to orient and do what matters most, even in the presence of natural uh, doubts, concerns, and, and fears that we that we all have. Well, I think that's extraordinary because clearly this is the kind of thing that our organizations right now, our teams need. So would you tell me and tell the audience, Eric, how can they get in touch with you to learn more about what you do? Mm. I would uh, encourage people to visit my website. That's the primary place to go. So it's Eric Winters dot com dot au and i'm sure you'll have a link somewhere on your uh, <laughs> on your site mm -hmm. but on the very first page of that website there's a button that lets you download the first couple of chapters of my book swipe right on your best self 
And you don't have to read the whole two chapters if you like the first page. I know you'll like the whole book. So you, you can tell from the, just the first few paragraphs if this is a good fit for you. But it's a book about developing courage to live this life, this one life. It looks like it's probably just the one life we've got. Maybe, maybe not, but it, you know, there's, it's, it's quite possible that we just get the one shot at this. <laughs> and, is it, and if we're going to do it well, it's going to require courage. We're going to have to reach for more in our relationships, reach for more in our work. We need to speak up, be seen, and be heard. And the book is full of strategies to help everyone do more of that. Well, and that's really important, especially right now when everybody is so stressed out and so just discombobulated. Uh, is that still a word that we use? Discombobulated. I think so. I <laughs> like we ought to use it more often, Michelle. I discombobulated. Think so. <laughs> we are. And, and the problem is when we're discombobulated. We're, we're not actually at our best. We're not making this, we're not really making any decisions. We're just on autopilot. We're just doing what we'd normally do and not getting a bit of a distance and thinking things through carefully. So yes, now is a time where it's, it really calls for getting better at navigating challenge. Well, thank you for being on the show and for doing what you do, helping people to navigate those challenges or figure out how they can do it themselves. Because yes. that's really the yes. important thing is you're empowering people. A hundred percent. Perfect, Michelle. That's exactly what I do. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on November 26th when my guest will be CPA and founder of Get Payroll, Charles Reed. You can find us once a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.